You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Welcome to A Step Further, weekly podcast of Kingsway Christian Church. Andy Lynch, Derek Hughes, Matt Nickerson, all joining you here today as we dive down a rabbit hole and who knows if we'll be able to get out. If you're reading the Bible in, in a year and you get to day number two, probably, or day three, and you start reading, and daughters were born to them, and sons of God saw the daughters of men were beautiful, and they married any they choose, you're going to stop and say, "What? wait, what is going on here? There's... There's sons of God and there's daughters of men. What is happening? And we're going to try and talk about it today, Matt. Try. How did I get brought into this podcast? You actually, are excited I about this. I am actually excited about it. I'm not going to lie. I have spent a significant amount of time studying this. And we could easily, Andy, make this a couple podcasts. So you you may have to decide. You may look at me and say, let's get this one off and we'll keep going in another podcast. So we'll decide that. Nice, All right. Nice. Where do we start? Yeah, well, let's start with this. This is an ancient conversation. This is not new. We are not the first people to come across this text to go, huh. In fact, I just heard yesterday, uh, as I was reading a study for this sun- Sunday sermon on Noah, that uh, I think for the first 300, if I, I, may, I think I'm saying this right, for around 300, 350 AD, most people bought into the um angel solution to this problem that we're about to dig into. And it was around then because there was a heresy popping up that one of the early church fathers began to look at it from a different lens because the angel argument kind of propped up this false heresy Hmm. that was going on. So then that started to make popular a different viewpoint of these texts. But what I would say is we don't have a definitive answer. So let's read the text and then we'll talk about there are three solutions the church has come up with for basically what is happening here. And this goes back in ancient Judaism. You can find this written about in the rabbinic writings. So this goes back for a long time. But I will tell you where I land and why. But let me just caveat all of it. This may or may not be a great topic for kids to listen to. You may want to turn this off or later if you got this going in your car. But also, I just want to tell you that, hey, there's a ton of grace here. I may be wrong, and you may be wrong, and that is totally fine. So you can listen to this and be fascinated. We're never going to know until we get to heaven. All right, here we go. Genesis chapter 6, verse 1 says, When human beings began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever. For they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. Okay. Now, a couple things. Let's just unpack that before we get to the next thing. So, who are the sons of God and who are the daughters of men? And why does it say it like that? If I talk about you marrying somebody, I don't say, oh, Andy, the son of God. Adam is called the son of God, Mm -hmm. right? I don't say, you know, your wife, she's the daughter of men. It just sounds very um, Lord of the Ringsy, right? Yeah. Like, or something like that. Uh, actually, um, C.S. Lewis picks up some of this kinds of language, yes. if you notice it, yep. when he's writing in the language of the wardrobe. He's, he, he's very well read. He knows exactly what he's doing. Okay, but what is happening here? There are three solutions that have been proposed throughout time. The third one I'll save is the one where I land. But the first one is what we call the uh, Sethite view. And I actually set this up in last week's sermon Mm -hmm. because it is one of the possible interpretations. And that is this. As you get through Genesis 4 and 5, you see uh, the Cain's family. They're kind of marked. They're not doing well. You get Lamech. He's married multiple wives. He's killing people. The Cain uh, family line is just a bad family line. But then it says God gave Adam and Eve Seth to replace um, Abel, who was murdered. But it's through Seth's line that we track all the way to Jesus. You can literally track it all the way back through history. And there's an important. So what they're saying is here are the sons of God, the Seth line, 
and here are the daughters of men, the cane line. And that that view of this, what they're saying is, unfortunately, the godly line became enthralled with the ungodly line, mm. the daughters of men, okay. Cain's family, and they started to intermarry. And so you've got this argument about, hey, you know, uh, believers should only be marrying other believers, which Paul brings up. But you would think if that were really something Paul wanted to point to for his argument, he would have just said, like in the days of Noah. Right. Right. But he completely stays away from that. He has no problem connecting Old Testament dots. He doesn't go there at all. I don't think that one is the one, but there are people who do. And so I just want to give validity to the second most popular view. And um, this would be where my Old Testament professor lands and a very famous Old Testament professor named Meredith Klein. He's a male. You can look up. He actually wrote an entire article. You get to search Meredith Klein, Genesis six sons of God, and you can find his whole thing. there. It's a little bit older English, not a lot, but a little bit older. And he he'll argue for it if you're curious about it. But it goes like this. So in that day, people are gaining in power. And as people gain in power, of course, they're abusing their power. And so you've got the sons of God, the daughters of men. The sons of God represent the kings of the earth who are puffed up on arrogant pride. And they are abusing their power and their position. So imagine now these kings and, and, and rape and pillaging mm-hmm. is becoming profound upon the earth. And God is grieved in his heart that he's ever made people because when people are getting power, they're abusing it to their own advantage. So these sons of God are kings. Okay. They're, they're governors, they're rulers right. who have all the money and all the resources. They own the land. Uh, this is, it's kind of funny how that movie Noah's Ark, which I'll refer to a little bit on Sunday, it tried to m- like mix some of these views in together. Right. But if you watch the movie, it's terrible. It's terrible. It is not biblical right. at all. In fact, it's actually using extra biblical sources for its writing um, and the sources that have been condemned anyway, without going into that. But many people watched it and went, oh, it's like a Hollywood version. No, it is not. It is anyway. So they tried to almost show this. You see that in the movie. If you saw the movie, like these kings of the earth, they're just evil and they're mean and they don't care about anybody and they're pillaging the earth and they're pillaging people. That's kind of that argument. There is definitely validity to that being possible. The problem with that is the phrase sons of God in the Hebrew is used many times in the Old Testament and every time it's used, it refers to angels. Oh, wow. Every single time. Unless you say this text is the one exception to the rule. Mm. I I don't, I mean, God could do whatever he wants, but I don't love exceptions. When you have a rule, it tends to help to stick with the rule. God loves repetition too, right? (laughs) There's a reason. So the third theory, and this is the one I ascribe to, and this was, this is probably the most popular, even though we don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Like, I'm not gonna lie. We just don't know what to do with it. So, uh, this is a big fun. This is where we'll go. And this, we may run out of time. We'll do a second one if we need to. So, <laughs> uh, let's just keep reading. Cause okay. then it says in verse four, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes of old men of renown. Wow. Again, like what do you, who are the Nephilim? Makes you think of Zeus and the gods of Okay, so go back to that for a second, because yeah. we're gonna. We, I was gonna go there anyway. So let's just go there for a second. Yeah. So what happened when Zeus got together with other women? Do you do you know who was birthed out of that? I don't. You had these heroes of old. Okay. You had men like Hercules, right? He's half little G God, right? right half okay. man. Yep. And it does bring up a great question: What if some of these ancient true stories? permeated these ancient cultures and found their way out in other writings, like in Greek, Greece, Babylon, you know, whatever it is. 
what if there was some element of truth in them, mm-hmm. even though they clearly aren't God himself or right. the gods? And what if whatever the Nephilim are, let's go there in a second, but what if whatever the Nephilim are, if they are some sort of hybrid angel human combination, what if even that was from Satan himself to try to twist the story? Because God one day is going to send his son and he's going to somehow be fully God and fully man. And it's Satan's way of twisting the story so that when it gets here, you could easily go, well, that can't be true because... Does that make sense? Satan's already trying to warp the truth, which is what he's always trying to do. Take the truth and warp it. So who are these Nephilim? And the short answer is we don't know. But if you go back through your three options, it doesn't make sense that the Seth line could produce these heroes of old. Unless somehow God's blessing upon Seth. But never are we told that the blessing would be that kind of thing. You'd be bigger and stronger and faster and smarter. That's never what the blessing was supposed to be. So the blessing is God's presence with you. So go through the second option. Could it be the kings of the earth, these evil kings, and they produce, how do they produce bigger, stronger, faster men? Mm -hmm. You could make an argument there, right? So if you think about it, I'm going to cough. If you think about it there, so if you have, say, kings, and they are using their resources to train and to educate, well, then you could imagine that there could be a a line of people, right, who have better access to resources, and they are these amazing, you know, the the quote-unquote peasants, they look up and go, oh, man, if I had his training and his athletic right. ability and his diet and his, you know, right. on and on. Of course, you could probably make that argument, but why are we calling them Nephilim? I mean, what, what is going on there? Yeah. And under the third one where I land, this is some sort of human angelic hybrid, wow. something of some sort. And they are stronger and bigger. And this is relevant. I'm going to get way, 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 way too deep and I don't have time to go there. But where does Goliath come from? Right. Is he a Nephilim? I, there is strong reason to argue yes. Okay. And then, th- but think about this here for a minute. So when does Goliath show up? Before the flood or after the flood? He's after. Well, how could there be a giant after the flood? It does say that they exist after, right? Well, that's... They were on the earth in those days and also afterward. Exactly. How? If the earth, de- or if the flood destroyed... Oh, so... Th- everything Within how noah's could a family so then your only options are perhaps somebody in noah's family is carrying the seed or they sneak away on the ark <laughs> or they're human spirit hybrids wow or if you want to get into the oars or uh, again even think about joshua coming up on the promised land and he, everybody, the, the, remember, there were ten. There were twelve spies, right? Ten were bad, and two were good. Mm-hmm. It's the only way I remember is the kid song. And uh, and and the ten spies who don't believe, they look at him and they go, "Those guys are huge. Right, There's right. giants in the land." Well, they're afraid of whatever is going on there. And so, in that regard, <clears throat> the Bible could be arguing, "Hey, that thing that the flood tried to do away with, it still exists on the earth because the seed of Satan, so to speak. Huh. It's it's almost like a spiritual text." more than it is a literal text, spiritualizing the text. Part of me goes, why can't it be both? Because the very least, what we see here in Genesis chapter six is it's taking us back to the garden. Mm -hmm. Remember, Adam and Eve didn't sin on their own. They sinned under the pressure of temptation. Does that make sense? So there was an evil one who showed up and said, you know, did God really say, can you really trust him? Will he really meet your needs? He's holding out on you. And so we saw this desire in Adam and Eve, but it was built upon by their enemy. So Genesis 6, if nothing else, says 
there is an enemy in this world and he is seizing your desires mm. to twist them, to ruin the story for you. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's fascinating. You got any questions before I go, move on, no, go keep on? Keep going. Keep all right, going. all right. So Genesis 6, let's keep going. Um, verse 5, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Mm. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So, a couple things here. This is where, uh, and I don't know how much time we have, if you want to, I mean, I think we're, I'm, we're like 12, 13 minutes in, right? So we're trying to figure out if we got to keep going or do you want to pause here? But, okay, <laughs> Andy's like, yeah, it's good. Okay, so uh, part of what we have here is how can God grieve? I mean, right. if God is omniscient, right. how can God look at the earth and say, I regret that I even made this thing? Uh, here's where I would land. Uh, if I get to heaven and find out I'm wrong, um, there's a lot of grace, right? But where I would land is we are anthropomorphizing. I think I'm saying that word correctly. God himself. We're, we're putting God in human emotion, okay. right? So that we can better relate and understand with him. I don't believe for one second it's that God didn't know where the story was going to go. Mm. I don't believe that's the case. Perhaps I'm wrong and we'll get to heaven and find out God is living this out in literal real time with us. And he came to a moment of grief because he regretted it. When Peter tells us that before the foundations of the world were laid, that Jesus Christ was crucified. That means before even one little brick or stone of the entire universe was ever laid anywhere, Jesus already knew he was going to be crucified. So that tells me God's foreknowledge knows where the story is going. And however it works out in God's mystery and majesty and fate and free will and all that stuff that we love to ask me, great podcast for another day. <laughs> what we know with certainty is in this moment, God looked down and this is a moment where he's allowing himself to feel the feelings, wow. right? He is grieving because this thing has gone so wrong. Well, why just honestly for a second, why is this so much more wrong? If you read anything about ancient Rome, it is a spiritually dark place, right. very dark. I mean, there is rampant abuse of young boys, of, of Greco-Roman men. So the stuff that we read in the news that we just absolutely hate and it's evil and we condemn it, we put laws together to do something about it. It is natural part of society in ancient Roman society. And and beyond that, killing of babies, I mean, literally born babies. Like a baby's born, you didn't like the color of the hair, you didn't like the shape of their face, you didn't like that it was female instead of a male. They would literally just leave it out and abandon it to fate and the Christians would come along find the babies and bring them in. I mean, we are not talking, although abortion did happen too, we're not primarily talking about abortion. We're talking about literally just abandonment of a human life. And the Romans would do this all the time. Wow. And part of the reason the gospel took off is because Christians said, not okay. Well, now let's just go back. Well, why is that less evil? Why not find it? Why not send fire on the earth then? Or why, why is this so evil? What in the world? Because we aren't given any details. Mm something is happening that makes God say, this is not okay. I draw the line here and it's so bad that I'm going to send flood to wipe everything out. And that's where there are some other biblical texts and some other sources we can lean into to say, well, what is it? So let's just go take a look at a couple of those. Yeah. First Peter chapter three, which uh, I read on Sunday. I got to pull that up for a second here. First Peter chapter three, Peter's dealing with a whole slew of things, but he's talking about pain and suffering in this world and, and how we ought to suffer in this world. And we as Christians should expect suffering in this world. And he's making this argument. Hey, if you suffer for doing good, praise God, God's watching. He'll reward that. But if you suffer for doing evil, you know, suck it up buttercup. Like don't blame God for that. That's not, it's in the Greek. It's not exactly what it says, but here's what it does say. First Peter chapter three, verse 18. 
Peter says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Okay, so again, he's making the argument. It's okay to suffer for doing good. Jesus suffered for doing good. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And then he goes on, he says this really weird thing, unless you understand Genesis 6. He says, after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Okay, so it's not an accident that he ends his passage that way. Because Peter has read widely. Peter has read and studied a book called the Book of Enoch. Mm. And if you were here listening, uh, the Book of Enoch has nothing to do with Enoch, who we talked about a couple <laughs> weeks ago, who's right. in Genesis chapter uh, five, four? four. I can't remember now. Four. Yeah, Thank four. you. Uh, and it has nothing to do with it. And so Enoch was a popular book in Peter's day. It would be like C.S. Lewis today. It'd be like if, if Peter were alive today and he were writing scripture today and he quoted C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is not scripture. Right. But you probably should read his book. Well, Enoch was an extremely influential book. Uh, there's actually three Enoch books, first, second, third Enoch. And they tried to take the story of Genesis 6 and expound upon it. Mm. The problem is because it's not what we call canonical, meaning it's not in the 66 books of, this, of the Bible, we don't know that what Enoch is writing about is true or not true. Wow. But it was at least influential in Peter's life. But Peter's expounding upon it here. Mm. So the way you ought to read that is not that Enoch then a scripture. That's not what it means. What it means is Peter's trying to make a point. He's trying to make an illustration. And in Enoch... Apparently, I've not read Enoch. I've listened to a lot of teachings on it, so I apologize. My expertise will run out a little bit here. But apparently in that story, what we see now is Jesus is going back into these imprisoned spirits because Enoch is taking Genesis 6 to be an angel-human hybrid. And what happened is God is angry because there are these spirit beings who left the abode that God put them in the spirit world. Somehow they either took on flesh or they embodied somebody else. They did something like that and they co-created wow. sons of God, yeah. daughters of men, but then God bound them in chains mm -hmm. and they have been bound. So again, people have hypothesis. What does it mean? Maybe this is Jesus going into hell and proclaiming to everybody that he rose from the dead and now anybody in the dead can believe in Jesus. That's not what it's talking about. Wow. Instead, he's going to these angelic figures and saying, you lose. Wow. You tried to corrupt. You tried to ruin the story. You lose. I have won. I have died. But I have rose from the dead. And let me just show you one more passage quickly. Mm, yeah. This is in the book of Jude. You can't say Jude, you know, first Jude. It's just Jude. It's one chapter. So we say Jude verse six. Uh, so if you say first Jude six, I'll laugh at you. Okay, here we go. Jude six says, and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. Again, there's no doubt Jude is quoting Enoch. Right. But is it true? What does it mean? Jude's at least using it as an illustration, like we would use C.S. Lewis as an illustration. But I tend to lean towards then that interpretation of Genesis 6. Wow. Somehow this, this, there's a spiritual war that is raging around us. 
And it is so real that at one point in history, these angels left this abode and God as a profound statement to the angelic figures bound them in chains and said, no more, none of you will do this again. Do you understand me? And they all had understand who's ultimately in charge, even though they tried to rebel. And so they are bound. Those spirits are bound, but there are still apparently other spirits who are raging on this earth. Wow. That's a lot to say. There's so much going on that we don't think about in we, our daily lives. We could still do yet one more podcast on this subject that I could really like, whet your appetite. We, we might <laughs> find out next week.